Hey, good morning. If you've got your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 32. We are uh, looking at the life of Jacob, who is uh, the grandson of Abraham and the son of Isaac, and twins with his brother, technically older brother, Esau. And um, we started a couple of weeks ago walking through um, his life. We began at uh, uh, a place called Bethel, where uh, Jacob, as he is on the run from, from Esau, uh, lands in this place to spend the night, and he is uh, um, arrested, if you will, in a dream by uh, the Lord. And there he sees a ladder that comes down. He wakes up and um, ends up commemorating the place, calling it Bethel, the house of God. And I said a couple of weeks ago that that was one of the most significant moments in his life and that there are two of those significant moments. We look today in Genesis 32 at one of the other significant moments in Jacob's life. And so I'm Glad you're here with us this morning. And if you're online, we're glad you're here looking at uh, Genesis 32 and the life of Jacob. And my name's Ross, and I'm one of the pastors. And I want to begin this morning by asking you this question. What in your life do you need to let go of? What is it in your life that you need to let go of? What are you hanging on to in your life? My guess is that, that many of us are hanging on to things that we need to let go of. Maybe you're hanging on it to, to your own strength, to your own plans, to your own will. Maybe you're hanging on to dreams that you have. As we look at Jacob's life this morning, one of the things we're going to see in this chapter is that Jacob is going to end up going to battle with God, or, or maybe better it's to say God is going to end up going to battle for Jacob. And the big idea this morning is that God is going to go to battle against Jacob to accomplish his will in Jacob's life. And I think there are, um, in many ways, that translates right here to today, 4,000 years later, that if you're a child of God, that, that God loves you so much and has committed himself to you to never leave you and never forsake you, and that God has ordained a way for you and, and things for you and, and, and desires for you, that God is going to go to battle with you in your life for his will. And so that's what I want us to look at this morning. Jacob is living his life, he thinks, but the truth is, it is God's 
story that's being written. If you'll look with me, beginning in chapter 32, verse 1. We'll read a verse or two, we'll stop, and we'll make our way through the end of it. Verse 32, 1, Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. Now, this is a transition chapter, verse, uh, chapter 32. And it's transitioning between two things. So, if you remember, when Jacob um, sees God at Bethel, when he's in the dream, he sees the ladder and the angels going up and down the ladder. That's when Jacob is on the run out of the promised land. And he's headed out of the promised land, running from Esau. His mother had sent him to Haran to find a wife. That's where his kinfolk are from. So he goes there, and in chapter uh, 29, chapter 30, chapter 31, we hear about all the things that take place in Haran, and it's about a 20-year period. A period of time that was meant to be temporary was turning into something that was permanent. And so God, in chapter 31, he calls Jacob, he reminds him, hey, Jacob, remember, I'm going to bring you back into the promised land. It's time to lead. And there's both a push and a pull. There's a, there's a push because Jacob is being mistreated and deceived and, and getting the, the runaround from Laban. But there's also a pull because God comes to him and says, hey, Jacob, it's time for you to leave and come back home to where you, you belong. And so here as he's on his way back to the promised land, he sees the angels again. They're, they're there um, in this uh, place that he's going to set up camp. Verse 2, and when Jacob saw them, the angels, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of the place Mahanaim. Now, now, Jacob, as he's coming back into this promised land, one of the things he knows is that there's no other route back into where he belongs except to run dead square into his brother Esau. Now, he'd been on the run from Esau. The last time he saw him, he had swindled him out of his blessing and swindled him out of his birthright, and, and Esau was angry, and Esau wanted his life. That's the last Jacob remembers, but he knows if he's coming back into the promised land, he's got to go through Esau. And when he sees these angels at this place where he camped, he says, listen, this is the place called Mahanaim, and, and literally that means, you may even have a footnote in your Bible there, it means two camps. This is the place of two camps. And what that means literally is Jacob is saying, listen, I've met God's hosts. His army is here. This is where his might and his power are. I've seen the strength of God camped here. And what's funny about it is I showed up here with my own strength. I showed up here with my own power and my own riches and my own servants. And the idea is, is here are two camps. I landed here with all my stuff and all my strength, and I set up camp. And it turns out, God himself is here with all of his strength and has set up his camp. 
And this is the story of Jacob's life. He, he's always been pursuing what God meant for him, but Jacob has been doing it in his own strength. In fact, all the chapters of Jacob's life, literally, God's been seeking to communicate to Jacob. He wants Jacob to know, listen, Jacob, it's my story. I'm the one who's made the promises. I've been faithful to you. It, it, I, I have, with steadfast love, loved you and pursued you and, and what I've said and what I've promised. Jacob, it will be accomplished. Yet, over and over again, in your strength, in your manipulation, in your lies, and in all the ways that you operate, Jacob, you're fighting against me. How many of us would probably hear the same thing from God? Well, by the end of the chapter, the battle will have been waged, and we'll see that God will have won. Well, and, and pick up with me in verse 3 and look at what happens next. It says, And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. And I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. So he's sending these messengers ahead. He says, okay, listen, Esau's down the road someplace. I want you to go. I want you to find him. I want you to tell him I'm a rich man now. And I'm, I'm seeking his favor Essentially, what Jacob wants to know is, what's the cost? How much do I need to spend to buy myself out of this conflict? Well, um, he goes on. The messengers come back in verse 6. The messengers return to Jacob saying, well, we came to your brother Esau, and uh, he's... In fact, coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. And Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. So Esau hears the report. He's in absolute terror. This can't be good for Jacob. He has 400 men. And knowing Esau, they're probably just not any men. They're probably 400 warriors. And Esau's the general. And for all that Jacob knows, his angry brother wants revenge. And so what Jacob does is he, did you see it? He divides his camp into two. And he does it because if Esau conquers one, there will be one left and, and they'll survive. But it's kind of pathetic. You find out a little bit later, verses 13 through 21, it tells how he divides up his camp. He puts all the things he really loves and cherishes in one camp and all the things he doesn't really care about in the other camp. And what he ends up doing is he splits his wives and his children. 
And then what Jacob does is he puts himself at the very back. You see, there's enough fear and enough terror in Jacob that's going to cause him to do something he has never done before up until this point in his whole life. In verse 9, Jacob's going to pray. You know, in all the accounts of Jacob, we don't see that he prays to God until this moment. Look with me in verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I want to stop there for a moment because I want to analyze the, the prayer. As far as prayers go, Jacob does some really great things in this prayer that they're instructive to us about how to pray. One of the things to know is this is the longest prayer in all of Genesis. The longest prayer prayed by anybody, and it's prayed by Jacob. And where he begins is he's saying, listen, God, I, I know who you are. And you're the God of my father, my grandfather Abraham, and my, and my father Isaac. And you spoke to me. You, you told me to return to this land. God, that's who you are. And the truth is, he You know, he begins by speaking about who God is. Jacob wouldn't have had a Bible like we have today. He he would have known God. He would have heard from God. We've seen that. He heard his grandfather talk about God. He heard his father talk about God. But but he didn't didn't carry around a Bible, but but he kept with him. He kept in him that word that he had heard. And so when he, when he prays to God, when he begins in prayer, he begins by appealing to his word, appealing to who God is as God has revealed himself. See, when we go to prayer, it's easy for us, you know, we bow our heads and we, we jump right into our own lists. You know, our anxieties can often dictate our prayers, the, the cares of the day or the, the cares of the moment. And when we rush into prayer, really sometimes, maybe a lot of times, without a thought to, who we, a thought to even who God is. One guy says it this way. He says, he, he says, we treat God like a pinata, and we have a stick, and we beat him with our prayer, hoping something good falls out. It's not what Jacob does here, though. In his first prayer, he he does good. He begins by by talking to God about who he is. One of the things I love, I I truly do, is um, time spent praying with our elders. When we get together for our elder meetings um, at least once a month, um, we begin with prayer. And and listen, I I tend to be a a guy who 
You know, I mean, I show up at 7 o'clock in the evening usually. I'm looking at my watch. My thoughts are, I wonder how fast we can get through this agenda, and then, I, you know, I can get home. I, I come with efficiency on my mind often. You know, efficiency. Let's, let's get through this. Now, I mean, I want, listen, I want, I want God's will. I want him to bless what we're, we're doing. But I also like efficiency. And so then we begin to start praying, and, and, and inevitably one of our elders will open up, wise and godly elders, and they are. Usually begin by just letting silence hang in the air for a minute. We'll all just catch our breath. And usually something like, God, you're, you're good. You're sovereign. You're, you're steadfast. And many of our elders, as they pray, they have, they have psalms on their lips. And as the psalmist cries out and speaks to you, and then they begin to rehearse the attributes of God, and then another elder starts praising God and, and rehearsing his attributes and how powerful he is and how mighty he is and how intimate that he is. And, and then the prayer turns to the gift of God's Son and, and the sacrifice and the forgiveness of, of sins. And we may spend 30 or 45 minutes, we spend an hour in prayer, even before we get to the agenda. And, and you know what it does? It's like the anxiety just decreases and the clarity increases. I and mean, we get clarity and discernment in the midst of, of just, just praying to God, declaring who He is, proclaiming His attributes and His faithfulness. We're reminding ourselves who God is. L listen, and if you want to know who God is, you have to be in His Word. His Word tells us who He is. You see, I'm worried about us as people. I mean, we text and we Twitter and we Facebook and we text some more and we do all this stuff and we want instant, instant, instant. You know, we want our needs met now, now, now. And Listen, we're a people who are to go to God in prayer, proclaiming who he is. And in that, in that, that's where clarity is. And, and I know that from experience, but I also know that's where clarity is from the text. Look at verse 10. He goes on, I'm, I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you've shown to me, your servant, for with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. It's, it's a great reminder that when we pray to God about who he is, very quickly we're left with the realization of who we are. And who we are is people who are not worthy. He says, 
I had nothing when I came across the Jordan. I had a staff, but now I come back and I have enough for two camps. I'm not worthy of all that. And it's a good reminder, isn't it? I mean, we're people who have stuff. We're people who have two camps worth of stuff, most of us. We've been blessed. Our danger is that is that we've bought into the story, the competing story that says, you did this, I did this. You know, because of your education or your background or your hard work or who your family is or or what your experience is. I mean, you did this. No, you, you didn't. If you're a child of God, your response has to be, God, I'm not worthy of these things. I'm not just talking... So I'm not just talking about stuff. I'm talking about the very fact that you can bow your head and be ushered into the throne of heaven and and be heard by God because of the gift of His Son, Jesus. I mean, let that rattle around in your soul for a minute. Well, in verses 11 and 12, this is the request. He says this, Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said... I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. The the request is to deliver me. I'm afraid. You you could underline, if you wanted to, the, the words deliver me. Because they show up actually again at the end of the chapter. He's going to be delivered later in this passage, but it's not going to be like he expects it to be. So, so the prayer, it's a good prayer, okay? I mean, Jacob, he, he, he does some good praying there, but I would say he leaves one thing out of his prayer. He, he leaves out asking God what his will is. So he proclaims who God is. He understands then in, in talking about who God is, who he is. He, he petitions God. He, he makes his request for deliverance, but he never, he never seeks God about his will. And instead of seeking God about his will, what he's going to do is he's going to get up from his prayer and he's going to begin to try and answer it himself. You ever done anything like that? You've been praying to God, and man, I feel better. And then you, you get up and you walk away and you, you try to answer your own prayer. Maybe you haven't. I know I have. I don't mean that we should pray and then do nothing. It's not what I mean. But when we pray, we we should get up from there, and then we should walk in faith, a faith that we trust God more than we trust ourselves. You see, that's Jacob's problem. Actually, it's the same problem we all have. 
See, remember this is a place of two camps. But Jacob's going to get up, end up trusting in his own camp more than he is in God's camp. Well, in verses 13 through 21, what happens is Jacob, he gets up from the prayer and he begins to work his own plan. He gets all of his stuff organized, okay? That's what he does. You can read about it. And he gets ready to present a gift to Esau. So so there's drove after drove of these gifts, verse 16, and the the conclusion of it comes in verse 20. So, So if I've given him all of this stuff, Maybe he'll accept me. Maybe I can win his favor. Maybe I can buy my way out of Esau's anger against me. It's a man who was desperate in prayer, but he's not walking in faith. He's still walking in his own strength and in his own ways. And this is where the battle is going to come. Pick up with me in verse 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else he had. And Jacob was left alone. And I want to stop right there for a second. You you have a restless man. And he sends everybody else across the stream. And he stays there. and And he's alone. And then one of the craziest scenes in all of the Bible takes place. Crazy. One writer summed it up this way. He said, at Bethel, which we looked at a couple weeks ago, God had promised to bless Jacob, and from a material point of view, that promise was fulfilled, for Jacob was now a very wealthy man. But there's much more to the blessing of God than flocks and herds and servants. There's also the matter of godly character and spiritual influence. During that dark night of the soul, Jacob discovered that he'd spent his life fighting God and resisting his will. And that the only way to victory was through surrender. As A.W. Tozer said, the Lord cannot fully bless a man until he has first conquered him. And God's going to conquer Job by weakening him. We'll pick back up with me in verse 24. When Jacob was left alone... And a man wrestled with him until the break of day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and men 
and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. And the sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is in the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. In verse 24, it simply tells us, cryptically tells us, ambiguously tells us, and a man wrestled with him until the break of day. And you're left as the reader at that point, if you never read the story, you're like, well, I wonder who the man is. I mean, maybe it's Esau. Maybe Esau, you know, got word Jacob was camping, and he, and he sneaks up on him while he's asleep. He's just going to take care of the deal right there. Or maybe Jacob sent one of his mighty men, you know, to handle the business. But, but, but we get a little bit of a hint because they end up wrestling all night long. I don't know when the last time you've wrestled anybody is. My brother and I, it's been a few years, he's 10 years younger than me, but we would get together at family event, you know, Thanksgiving or Christmas, and it wouldn't be very long till, till my little brother would start talking trash. So we'd have to go out into the backyard, and I'd have to remind him, even though he's a little taller than I am, a little more fit than I am, probably a little more athletic, I can say, as long as you don't tell him I said it. But big brothers always win. But the truth is, we can talk trash for a long time. We really never get tired of that. But when we finally get down to wrestling, about four minutes is all we can do. I mean, it's, ex it's exhausting. It will exert your energy. Jacob wrestles with him all night long. Listen, that's what God will do. We'll find out later, it's actually it's God himself who's wrestling with Jacob. Let me ask you, are you wrestling with God? Jacob goes to bed that night, Esau's on his mind. Thinks he's going to wake up and be in conflict with Esau. See, he thinks that's the real conflict. He, he thinks that's the real test, that the, the real challenge is Esau. What, what he doesn't know is God's trying to say to him, you're wrestling against me. You've been wrestling with me. Jacob thought his conflict with, was Laban or his conflict with, was with Esau. But God's saying, your life is in competition with what I am seeking to do with you. So God in his graciousness comes and he wrestles him all night long. And that's how much God loves you. He's willing to wrestle you for his will in your life. 
And sometimes we're mistaken. We think, oh, we're wrestling against our boss, or we're wrestling against our spouse, or we're wrestling against, you know, a rebellious child, and it, it may be all along. Then our real conflict is with God. Well, in verse 25, it tells us when the man didn't prevail, he plays dirty. He broke his hip, right? It's like when I wrestle with my kids. You know, so I have to be careful. I'm stronger with my children. It's been a while since we've gotten down and wrestled on the ground. We used to do that when they were young. And if I wasn't careful, I could hurt my kids. If I don't temper my strength, if I don't match that, my strength to there. You know, my oldest daughter, when she was young, we would wrestle, and then it would end up in hugs and kisses. My son, when we used to wrestle, it went the other way. You know, he'd want to show me how strong he was. Well, I finally got tired, I'd just sit on him and <laughs> ask him if he was done yet. But I couldn't wrestle my kids with all of my, my strength. So, so God, he touches Jacob's hip socket like a reminder. I could have destroyed you if I wanted to, but I didn't. But I did weaken you. And I did this because, Jacob, you're so dependent on your own strength, on your own way, on your own will. The great gift I'm going to give you is that you are going to limp for the rest of your life. That's the blessing. You don't think it's a gift? That that's what he says. The rest of the text says it in, in verse 26. I, don't let me, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. You could write out in the side of the margin. That's faith. He, he's... He's clinging to God. I, I won't let you go. This, this, is what, this is what faith looks like. And then God says, what's your name? In verse 27. And we don't have any other place where Jacob has to answer that question specifically. What's your name? And Jacob has to say, deceiver. That's what his name means. Liar. What's your name? Cheater. He has to say his name out loud to the God of the universe. Let me ask you, have you come to the place in your life where you have admitted to God or confessed to God who you are? You come to the, the place in the dark of the night where you, you cling to God and you say, this is who I am. Don't let me go. See, when you name someone in, in this culture here, it means that you're the Lord over them. You're their master. And that's what God does in verse 28. 
It's a little bit ironic that she says, no, you're no longer going to be called Jacob. You're no longer going to be called Cheater. You're going to be called Israel, and Israel literally means God strives or God wins or God fights. You, you, you think you've been fighting against all these other things, battling all these things. Guess what? You've been battling against me, and I win. And that's your name now. Your name now is God wins. Jacob's going to come away crippled in his natural strength so that he can become strong in his faith. Remember Jacob prayed to be delivered? Deliver me. Well, here he's delivered. He's delivered by being wounded by God. It's the greatest blessing God could give us, the constant reminder that we are dependent upon him. It's, it's a gift. The gift of being wounded by God in his grace. Listen, here's the great news. God's going to go to battle with you for his will in all the places that you're living in your own strength and pursuing your own will and trying to write your own story because God loves you. He's going to go to battle with you. Listen, maybe, maybe, maybe he's going to battle with you even today. Maybe you're in the midst of it. And faith is clinging to him. In fact, at, at times, this is, sometimes God comes and he cripples our natural strength so that we might receive the blessing by faith. Now, Hosea, more than a thousand years later, is going to write about this scene. Listen to what Hosea says. It's Hosea's commentary in Hosea chapter 12. The Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. Hosea's talking to his people in his day. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood, he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. So you. By the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice. Wait continually for your God. See, the message from Hosea is, listen, God loves you. That's who he is. And he's wrestled you, and he is wrestling you. And by faith, he wants you to wait, and you wait, and you wait on the Lord, and you cling to him give you one more passage and we'll close. Paul, the apostle, he writes to the Corinthians. He writes four letters to them. We only have, we only have two of the letters that he wrote, wrote. But he's having to write to them because the Corinthian church, I mean, they weren't the greatest church. You know, let's be honest. 
they got a lot of problems. And one of the things they were doing is they were just dogging on Paul. I mean, they were hammering him. I mean, they were saying, Paul, there's nothing great about you. I mean, we don't even really like you. There's a lot of people who are better speakers than you. In fact, we don't ever download your podcasts. We download their podcasts. Well, instead of Paul defending himself, which he could have, and saying something like, you know, no, they're not. I wrote one-third of the New Testament. He doesn't say that. He could have said it, but he doesn't say it. Instead, listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. And three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, and he says to all of us, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. And this story that God's writing his story in your life, it culminated on the cross, the greatest moment. The moment that Paul writes about in Philippians chapter 2 when he's talking about the Son of God, when it says he humbled himself, he took upon himself flesh, and he humbled himself, and he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. And it is in that moment, that moment in history that looked like the greatest Victory for the competing story. And it looked like the greatest moment of weakness in the whole plan of God. It ended up being the greatest act of strength. It is where God conquers sin and death. And Jesus, who is the Son of God, hung on a cross. And he bore the wrath of God and the weight of sin, your sin and my sin. And then cries out, it is finished. And then he offers you all of his strength. All of his strength. Why do you strive against God? Why do you still wrestle against him? Why do you keep setting up your camp? when his camp is already there. This morning, God bids us to cling to him, to lean into all the ways that he's wounded you for his magnificent glory, for your 
eternal good. See, he's good and he's faithful and his steadfast love endures forever. He calls you like a father. You're his child. He calls you to come to him. Will you come to him this morning? Let's pray. Father, I pray you would do what only you could do. That, that by your spirit you would take your word and you'd open our eyes and soften our hearts and give us clarity to see who you are your love and your steadfastness your care your strength your power and your goodness and Father, in that, we'd also see who we are. How silly we are sometimes to, to operate in our own strength and to pursue our own will and our own dreams, even against you. And we end up struggling against you and fighting against you. And Father, you're gracious to endure with us all night. When we confess to you who we are, you change our name. You make us new. And so, Father, I pray you, you grant us faith again, more faith, to cling to you, to hang on to you, to trust you, to lean into our weaknesses, the places we've been wounded so that by faith we take hold of your strength. Father, for anybody here that's, that's never done that before, would you grant them faith to take hold of you, to trust you for your son Jesus, that his death for our sins made the way for us to have life with you, and so, Father, would you give them the faith to believe your Son? And, Father, for all of us, we pray this the only way we can. In the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of your Spirit.